0: Is a school really open if the kids have to cover their faces, if the teachers have to get a vaccine, and if the parents and the guardians and anybody else who wants to set foot in that school is under mandate to do something to their body? Is the school really open? Let's talk about it. Hello everyone, welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Filman. At The Reason We Learn, we aspire to be part of the solution. The purpose of this show is to take a good, honest, potentially painful look at the way kids are being educated. We know we can do better, and this is where we'll talk about how. Let's learn something. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the reason we learn. Good morning. I've got a show for you today about medical tyranny, and you might think in 2022 we wouldn't be talking about this in relation to education, but guess what? We still are. We still are. And today's guest is a fighter on the front line of that issue. I have Stephanie Edmonds coming in to talk to us. She's teaching, uh, teaching for liberty or teaching liberty. And she's on Instagram and Twitter. She gives great rousing speeches. She organizes petitions. This woman is a powerhouse fighting for kids in New York City, fighting for her fellow teachers. I I just so admire the work she does. And I hope that you will, you know, go get other people to come and hear from her as well, if not live right now, then on the replay. So please like, share. And if you're not already subscribed to the channel, please take care of that right now. And... I'm going to introduce Stephanie. Here we go. Hi, What's Stephanie. Going? Hey, how are you? Good. So I just give the briefest of introductions. I forgot to add that you are a creator for uh, Chalkboard Review. You also have reclaiming childhood. Is that correct? Did I get uh, the title right? Re- restore childhood. Close. Restore childhood. Yeah. Wow. Same, right? Restore, reclaim, yeah. Yeah. get it back. Um. But I introduce you as a warrior against medical tyranny because that is your that is your cause right that's your big thing that you spend most of your time fighting for
1: yeah i mean I, this unfortunately as you said here we find ourselves in 2022 and although i'm a history teacher i'm not talking about medical tyranny in history i'm talking about you know that that constant echo that constant repetition that we always find ourselves in it seems to be you know tied to, if not the human condition, definitely a struggle for democracy and liberty and more freedom. It's, you know, we we can't let up our vigilance and, and just get comfortable. I think that's a lot of what's kind of happened is there's so much wealth in America. There's so much freedom in America. We've kind of gotten comfortable and lost connection with why this country was founded. And I think a lot of that has to do with why we need a high quality education for our students. Um, so yeah, I, I was a teacher in New York city. I was fighting out here to get the schools open in, in 2020. And then a year later I found myself fighting for my job as uh, vaccine mandates became uh, put into place at various places across the country. And then here we find ourselves still and, and really, I think that since the schools opened, this has been a big thing that we're fighting. Are the schools really open, right? Schools did open in fall 2020, but did they really open, right? Does hybrid really count as school? Does masks really count as school? Um, does parents not being able to come into the building and build community count as school? I think these are really good questions. And and we have to answer them if we're gonna have just school. I just want school.
0: I think a lot of parents and definitely a lot of children probably agree, but help us, you know, give us in the rest of the country the lay of the land. Because I think for some people, either who had school more open sooner, like maskless school, mandate free school, or whose reopening was maskless from the get-go like okay we've been closed for a year whatever but now you come back in and you you know you don't have masks and new york city is its own thing isn't it
1: yeah you know there's there's these deep blue enclaves that i think have very obvious signs of schools not being open and let's talk about that first but i do also want to talk about places that we feel like are open and um make the connections to perhaps the more insidious ways in which they're actually doing a lot of the same things. It's just kind of different branding, right? The branding in these deep blue enclaves is very on its face, very coercive, and it hasn't let up. I know that there's places around the country, plenty of places, probably the majority of places and whether they're, you know, reds or purples or even just some common sense blue areas, have more or less gone back to normal gone back to school as you know school was in bc before covid (laughs) um and but in new york city for example you know i would say washington dc is another good example san francisco um la chicago we have not gone back to normal it is still a fight for everyday existence out here. And it pervades your life in so many ways. I mean, we're here to talk about education. So in New York City, the big news yesterday was that students can now participate in after school activities, including high risk sports and other activities that were identified as high risk without having to show proof of two shots of a COVID vaccination. Um, and so... I know a lot of people didn't even realize that was a thing. They were like, "Oh, we were still discriminating against kids in that way?" However, it's it's that's not the end, right? Teachers still cannot teach uh, uh, you know, and that's like any other city worker, any department, but teachers in particular we'll talk about on this channel, cannot teach without two shots. I was just officially fired on September 5th or 6th, I'm, I forget what the official date was, for, and, and they probably wouldn't call it firing, I think it was like, they framed it as like my decision to like move away, but we all know what it was. They terminated us for refusing to, you know, get two doses of a COVID vaccine um, parents cannot get into the school building without one dose. I, you know, two dose, one dose, I'm not really sure what the difference in the science is there. Um, and so really what that's had schools end up doing is just cancel in-school events altogether, right? Principals, school safety agents, teachers, they don't want to be the COVID police, and I don't blame them. So, Schools just end up saying, oh, it's just easier just to not have an, in- we're just going to do it all virtual because of equity, right? It's just more equitable. Everybody can access it.
0: Right. Because uh, so- everyone has high speed internet and a great device mm-hmm. with a, you know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. For and, each and, child know, I'm in the
0: household. How-
1: I'm not, I like having the option of being like, oh, I can't make this meeting tonight. Let me just tune in via Zoom. Cool. Great option. It should be in person regardless.
0: And these are the same people in many cases, philosophically, who are pushing things like social-emotional learning programs where the teachers are forced to parent the children. It's like, we're going to have group therapy, and we're going to ask questions of parents. You know, don't even ask their kids because it's a little personal, whatever. And then they'll say, but they don't need to be in the building. the, The contradictions must drive you crazy.
1: I mean... That's the thing about the whole, this whole thing. It isn't, an, it's an ideology, right? It doesn't have to make sense. It's all about just, and, and, and actually it's not even about an ideology. I think you can have an ideology and be consistent. So I misspoke. It's about power, right? And so they're going to make their ideology in whatever way makes it able for them to get power. So equity is basically whatever they say it is, Um. And, and it makes it really hard, I think, to combat in that way because it's constantly changing its face. And then also they do make very valid emotional appeals because if we look at the things that they're calling their attention to and their problems to, I mostly agree with the things that they're talking about. I mean, I used to call myself class disruption because I was all about disrupting the status quo of education but I guess if you just dig into it a little bit deeper, maybe I described that a little bit differently. I thought there was a lot of corporate takeover, a lot of overstandardization. And I don't know. They, It's like I. the more I talk about it, I feel like we agree on so much. It's just they've hijacked. Right. In theory, it's just they've hijacked like our appeals to want to make a high quality uh, education accessible to all students. Like, Literally, nobody disagrees with that. You know what I mean? Um, and, And they've twisted it into this thing to just make people feel good, but not actually know anything.
0: Do you think, Stephanie, it starts with the proper definition of terms? I love the way just now you sort of corrected yourself when you said, wait a minute, I misspoke. You can have an ideology and be consistent. But that's a kind of definition of terms. But let's say you take well-meaning, big-hearted teachers who go into teaching because they're helping type of people. And, have I, a- and
1: I truly believe that. I truly believe that, that the majority of people who go into education really are there because they want to make a difference. That's why they chose to teach. You know, just like any profession, you're going to have people who are there for other reasons. But I truly believe the majority of teachers want that and that they should be our partners in this. And I don't want to make teachers and parents enemies.
0: I think, as you just said before, though, you can harness that desire and twist it so the person accidentally like wakes up one day and finds out that their definition of disrupting something or their definition of taking on the status quo is not at all what's happening but it's kind of too late or they don't they never really had a lot of definition around it or particulars to to fill it up like a how they had sort of a why. And, a, and you know, mm. like I, I do this because I want this outcome, but they never really thought about, well, why are things the way they are now? How did they get that way? What's the good that we keep? What's the bad we should throw out? So if you just start with, a you know, like I want a different outcome, then you leave things open for some bad bad actors. To come in and manipulate and take advantage and and tell you, this is the how. This is how we're going to get to that outcome. And you have nothing. You have no substance to challenge it. You can't really (laughs) go back and say, wait, no, no, that won't work because I know how we got here. And it was kind of like that.
1: Right. I definitely think, I mean, that's why I I specifically became a history teacher for that reason. Because I always felt (laughs) like there was a disconnect you know, personally, I think it starts something personally, You're like, why are things the way they are so that for me, I always was able to understand things through history. And then as I got older and trying to figure out, OK, you know, I like education. What kind of teacher do I want to be? Um, I, pro- you know, I was not not I can I'm much better at math now that I'm like looking back and I and I know how to learn I guess differently Uh, but I didn't feel like I would have been a good math or science teacher that wasn't like my thing so I was choosing between history and English and I chose history because I really felt like that connection between how things were and how things are is so important and it was so obviously missing from just the conversations that were going on dealing with social stuff political stuff everything so that's why I became a history teacher I think that's just a general problem I mean even it's so hard to know th- it's just so hard to know I was thinking about I saw this article today for example it was like Jessica Alba said oh I realize now I had an abortion like when she had and because she like miscarried or it was like a you know a horrible situation obviously and I'm sure she had to make a really hard decision but if you come to that conversation with, you know, just, like, a general understanding, like, of what abortion is, you would be like, oh, like, you know, those Republicans are trying to take away her right to do that. But if you, if you come to the conversation with a little bit more context and understand that, like, actually, literally nobody wants to take away the right for, um, to save, like, a mother's life or if there's, like, a, you know, an extenuating circumstance that's putting the baby and or the mother at risk. Um, and you would realize that the article is kind of just really nonsense, like propaganda to try to, you know, fear monger. Um, but it's hard to know that, like, you know, there's so much going on. Like I, my son forgot his lunch and I had to go get there. And that's why I'm doing this in the car, you know, like everybody has their daily lives. Um, but I do think that just like a basic historical understanding of certain things, um, which is why people who are in power and control don't want you to know those things. They just want you to take their edicts. No, this is what we're doing today. This is what we're doing tomorrow. It don't, oh, it, it, yeah. And so bringing it back to what we started with in New York City, for example, when Mayor Adams gave his announcement of letting down the mandate for students but not for parents for uh private sector workers not for public sector workers he was like well i don't really think anything about covid makes like logical sense it's just kind of like we look at it and we decide from here there and everybody decides for themselves maybe um and it just doesn't you know like he just basically admitted it doesn't make sense like we just kind of decide based on our bureaucratic whims for whatever's best for us based on poll numbers and based on donors You know, so
0: and, you know, as a history teacher, that's exactly why we had limitations on government was to prevent that sort of arbitrary capriciousness on the part of people in power. There should be checks and balances so that things, you know, that that you can't force them to make sense, but you incline them to make sense because you give the people the power to push back on things that don't make sense. The challenge, of course, is now with as you pointed out, whether it's social media or me, you know media corporations and also the pharmaceutical corporations and people with deep pockets and lots and lots of power who've picked a side in this, and the side they picked is not their sort of end user customers, we who buy things and just sit there online or whatever, um, but the people in power. It's like the powerful are on team powerful,
1: right? And
0: that has. Cut into our ability as individuals to use our freedom of speech. You use yours more than ten people I know, you know. (laughs) Um, But the impact that you can make is not the same as it was. Let's say you know fifty years ago, if you went out on a street corner in Manhattan fifty years ago and did the things that you're doing, I actually believe you would have a more immediate and a larger impact because you wouldn't necessarily have all of these people gathered together to drown you out to sort of overpower people's ears with this this other message
1: yeah i mean i think i think that i don't want to necessarily idealize america's history with freedom of speech like we've always had a struggle with freedom of speech for sure um the dynamics social media has definitely changed the dynamics i think it's much harder to have like a national unified movement than it used to be because there's so much infighting that ends up happening due to social media. So things are going to be more fractured by nature. Um, but I mean, you know, the American government definitely has not a great track record. I mean, 1917, we had the, um, um, what was that act espionage act that's been used a lot of times. Um, you know world war 2 um the cold war those were all used as great reasons to to suppress speech and control the narrative but all these things i definitely think have been amplified um due to social media the the government and corporations have more opportunities to work together to suppress our speech and that's the that's the really the the aspect that i think is is more pervasive today where the, the literally I, I went and interviewed um the lawyer Janine Eunice in DC. She's representing like Jay Batataria, Martin Koldorf, a few other people who the government directed social media companies to or allegedly, you know, hasn't been fully proved in court, but it's looking more and more like the government directed the social media companies to take down Particular post put up by these people, and that's a clear violation of the First Amendment rights. And and I, I do want to bring that back to the schools, though, and why that matters is because we see schools, schools, and school districts using these same tactics to suppress um, speech of parents, to suppress speech of of even um, students trying to just. You know, not have to have a mask over their face, being ostracized in school. Um, a dad gave a real um, Mo uh, Olivier. He's the founder of Educators for Freedom. His daughter goes to New York City public schools. He's talking about how you know being unvaccinated for COVID nineteen, she's been ostracized socially and. So these are the kind of power dynamics that we see filtering down into our schools, and that's why parents are
0: are stepping up and speaking out, and we're seeing a big movement right now. Right. I agree. I wanted to address something that Casimir says here. He says, uh, I would be careful calling their moves arbitrary and capricious, I think more towards deliberate expansion of power. And I mentioned in the chat that while I agree, I think there's a deliberate expansion of power going on. I think the arbitrariness and the capriciousness of these edicts is part of that. It's intentional. It throws people off balance. It confuses them. You've got people saying, but that doesn't make sense. And it gets them like there's no single point to be like, you're wrong. You're completely well, wrong. I I'm think it's a perspective this. difference, right?
1: Like yeah. if like when it when we want to like take those down legally and in terms of liberty and we're looking at them from a liberty perspective, they're arbitrary and capricious, right? When we're looking at them from like a power perspective and maybe yeah. like a wider game theory perspective, we can see that they're deliberate. i but I do think that there there is um also, even in like the, their deliberate and their planned out actions I, I do think tyrants always um are afflicted by that arbitrary and capricious um element right mm-hmm. they they're if you read any stories in the bible or you know it could be shakespeare it could be you know these classic tales we always see that in our our antagonists they're always just like get into these rages where things don't make sense and they do do things and i think that you can see this arrogance uh in a lot of our leaders right yeah they might have like very um they might be, you know, all about the power, but also, you know, they'll say you have to lock down and be out partying out back. You know, they'll okay. be at the French laundry, they'll go get their haircut. And I don't, I think that that's just part of them being so arrogant. Um, So that is something that I think that parents can take advantage of. So for example, in our district, Uh, I want to brag about a win that our parent group just had. Uh, We started seeing these vaccine clinics pop up, overlapping with school hours. There had always been lots of vaccine clinics around the town and even at the schools, but they had always been on the weekends uh, and never during school hours or school events. And we started seeing this year a couple different instances of them saying that they were overlapping with school events or on school property, you know, at the end of the day or something or with a a back to school night. And so we spoke up and we said, this is not acceptable. This is opening the gateway a for strangers, right? This is, you don't have to come here with an ID to get your, your vaccination and you're inviting strangers onto our school property. Mm -hmm. And then B this is opening yourself up for an accident, Right. so lots of people spoke out social media sending letters reaching out to the school board members and i believe it was yesterday they sent out a notice saying like canceled like those events were canceled and they were like oh it was a mistake which is nonsense because all their different little logos and stuff were on it it obviously wasn't a mistake they should have said that they made a mistake and this won't happen you know right but, it's more um, like
0: we misjudged how easily we'd get away with this.
1: Exactly, <laughs> that's, exactly. That's all your
0: right? mistakes are as oopsie too soon.
1: <laughs> exactly. So we can take advantage of those those you know arbitrary and capricious aspects of their arrogance, in their otherwise deliberate uh, reach for power, and and that's how you you create unity, and that's how we're gonna we create the new systems. That are eventually gonna replace these ones. These these institutions are crumbling before our eyes, and in one hand, it's horrible to see the suffering that it causes. You know, like closed schools are way worse than open schools, even on you know some of these schools' worst days. Unfortunately, right? Like as much as I rail against the public schools, they're far better open than they are closed. Um, Especially so- for
0: those populations they claim they're, they're trying to help the most so in other words if you have a child who's suffering real trauma or real abuse at home or you know needs a stabilizing routine just to feel you know like just to be able to learn anything you know and
1: that's it, sad. So it, like- yeah and i'm not <laughs>
0: suggesting everybody knows by my, my politics so i'm not suggesting that i think the state should do that or is the best group of people to do that that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying that If you're accepting this as what school is at the moment, like we are where we are right now, and then you're the Eric Adamses of the world who support that, and you're the Randy Weingartens of the world who support its existence, and then you turn around and say, "Closed is as good as open." We're going to say no. Like if this is the thing that you're forcing us to have, open is better than closed.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I would. I would say you're right. I think ultimately it's about like where <laughs> excuse me, where does the locus of power lie? I mean, for you know, we, we, this is just stepping back like philosophically for a second. It's like, okay, if the government isn't providing schools, like there's going to be some institution within your community that's going to be providing schools and education to um the people who can't afford to do the private schools who are, you know, you know, that section of po- the population, there's always going to be somebody who we need to help and take care of and give charity to and help bring up. So the question is, does that come from the government? Does that come from other community organizations? Um, I don't know. It's so like, I just believe in, I believe in public education. Like I believe in every kid should be able to go to a school right. and get educated. And and I
0: think I think most people would agree with that. I think it's just keeping that, the definition of public as small and as localized as possible. Um, That's, yes. And so, you know, and this is because there was a time in America where we didn't have compulsory government school, where we didn't have, you know, there was no Department of Education at the federal level. We barely even had a board of education at the state level. And yet we had literacy rates off the charts. So kids were getting educated, even quite poor kids were getting educated. They were getting educated largely because charitable organizations said, let's set up a school, churches, set up schools, synagogues had schools, Um, people in neighborhoods, and even, you know, progressive nonprofits said, we need to educate these kids so they can fully participate in our society and then along come the government progressives the woodrow wilson's of the world and those type of people and they took advantage and said here's a way we can get them voting for us forever so you know rockefellers the rockefellers Rockefellers, did that yeah place so we can make sure they go to the factory and don't have aspirations beyond their station. Right. right so we know the history and we know why public became a dirty word because it became literally forced, compulsory, government mandated like those shots. Um, which I want to double back to the, you know, the medical thing. yeah, you already said that Eric Adams has admitted effectively, this doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um what are the parents in the schools saying, let's say who I know what the parents are saying who don't want their kids to have the shots and are like kind of on your side, so to speak. What about the, uh, those going along with it? Are you hearing from them? What are they saying? What's the feeling there?
1: You know, not be, not being able to be in the schools anymore. It's, it's hard to necessarily know exactly. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is just kind of apathy. Um, not fully understanding the situation of what's going on. You know, uh, most of the people have gotten the shots themselves, so they don't really kind of understand the impact of it. Um, you know, you, you don't realize that the neighbor kid isn't doing the after school program anymore because they didn't get, get a shot. You know, it's not something I think that is polite conversation necessarily.
0: Are there still people saying, why don't you just do it? Like, just do it. I don't get the problem. Or you're choosing this, like going along with Eric Adams' argument of, well, it's your choice. You've chosen not to get it. So now you're choosing not to participate in the after school yes. program. I mean, for sure. It's
1: hard to say what the extent is. I think it's a really hard choice for a lot of people too, between like, well, it's not like I can't just not have my kid do this. You know what I mean? So even though they might be against it, they're it's not like they're gonna not put their kid in the, the free program or or the after school thing. To, to be in protest of it. I think, you know, there's not a lot of people don't feel like they have the capacity to really do anything about it. Um, so, but I can't claim to, you know, I don't actually live in New York city. So I, I'm not in the position where I have neighbors who are, you know, in a different situation than me. It's always been a little bit different out. Um, I live just outside the city in Connecticut. um, but yeah, I think, I think all those things are true. I, you know, there's the people who are, if you're in, you know, the Upper West Side or like Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn, these super, super like white progressive neighborhoods, yeah. people are still like masked up and like, yeah, you should just get the shot. Like, this is the way it should be. Um, you know, we just need to like make more equity so parents understand why they should get the shot. You know, it's like an access thing. And then there's the people That's so who...
0: racist That's just <laughs> bothers me so much. And it's like, it's, the, like, it's like the voter they, ID. Thing. They just don't, they just don't get that really. They don't have phones and TV <laughs> and they don't walk down the street and see billboards. And they're like, I don't know. They they're kept in a prison where people don't allow them to see the 24 seven, you know, profiting right. about this stuff. Oh my God.
1: Um, So yeah, I just think it's a a mix of a lot of those things. I mean, in New York, I can't speak about other places, but New York City, the propaganda is so pervasive and so consistent. I don't think most people can really understand what that's like. Um, Even still today... Uh, I would say 80% of the stores still have masks required signs on the doors. A lot of them still have the key to NYC stuff being like, you need to show your vaccine passport. Um, And so while it's not being enforced, it's just like, it's just the messaging constantly there, right? We know how that stuff impacts our psychology, right? Seeing Coca-Cola, 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 McDonald's over and over again, it programs you to just kind of be complacent and kind of accept the status quo of of what it is. Uh, There's, you know, LA, there's certain places I think that have it. um, But It's much more spread out and there's way less population. I mean, there's like, what, 8 million people in, you know, a few square miles. There's no other place that's concentrated like that they had you know massive subway campaigns they still have another er- thing eric adams was announcing was his his new campaign is coming up like they still have commercials going on tv telling people you know get vaccinated there's testing sites free testing sites still lo- uh, many places around the city you know littering the sidewalks so Yeah, it's just become normalized in so many ways, and people are just kind of living their lives. And unfortunately, a lot of them are learning how to live in more and more poverty. Like, the city is... Like, streets are lined in New York City with, like, people selling... I saw this thing. It looked like they just took a pallet off of an Amazon truck. Like it still had those like light blue bags. You see the Amazon guys and they're just like selling it. And it looked like, like uh, an undeveloped country. When you go to like the little markets they have there, which is like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't want (laughs) like, it's kind of when you go to those countries and you're all, this is kind of cute or whatever, but it's like, you know, you don't need huge open air markets on sidewalks in New York city. That's, you know,
0: of stolen goods especially
1: right of um, sto- things
0: that appear to be stolen that's allegedly
1: allegedly I'm not making any <laughs> welcome
0: back to the 1970s I I grew up during that time period in New York City there's a reason Rudy Giuliani was mayor for a long time and it was that New York descended into that in the 70s and it was a scary place to be um and then it wasn't and so there right. <clears throat> the one good thing about New York and being such a high population concentrated in one area is it's like a little Petri dish for bad ideas. <laughs> you see, what what toxic sludge are we going to grow with this, with this yeah. idea, right? And it grows I- real fast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do want to say, though, um, something that I had mentioned in the beginning about places like we'll use Texas and Florida, for example, because they're the big they're the big ones that everybody knows is everybody seeing them as like bastions of freedom. Um, but, you know, they're still having a lot of the same issues oh, yeah. in their schools. So. This is not just like a blue liberal city problem when we're talking about what does an open school mean, right? It means open curriculum. It means um, knowing that your kids are going to school not to be trained in some new ideology, but to pass them knowledge that has been proven over time, right? That's what schools are for By, by passing things that we know work and hoping that they can take those values and live up to those values more than we did. Right. We don't need some new, you know, like not that there's not room for innovation, but those are all going to be based on things that we know work. Right. And just hope that the next generation can do them a little bit better than we did. It doesn't take some new anti-racist idea to do that. Um, well,
0: Thomas Thomas Sowell says that, you know, the the, the, the history, I think he said something like the history of of school reform or education reform has been taking what what's worked and throwing it out and replacing with what sounded good.
1: And yes, I'm getting it wrong. Yes. I'm butchering
0: the quote, but it's like that's yes. the general idea. It's like, "Oh, phonics works great. Yeah, let's not do that anymore."
1: Exactly. <laughs> the whole so
0: language sounds so much nicer. Uh,
1: so I don't phonics. want these parents in in states that they feel like, "Oh, my schools are open. I moved to Florida. I moved to Texas, and I haven't had to worry about any of that stuff you're talking about." Like, "No, your schools, they might seem like they're open, but they're closed in many other ways." And then the even more pervasive way is the technology. Really, please be aware of the programs that your kids are on in schools. Like, I'm not, I, you know, like, of course, you know, the video games and all things like that, the stuff they do at home. But I'm talking about in school. I'm talking about the reading program they're on. I'm talking about the math program they're on. I'm talking about the, the uh, what do they call the learning management systems that they're on. What types of data... Are they collecting? What permissions do you give when you put your, you know, where is all that data being fed to? Do it? it are these social impact part of social impact <clears throat> investing programs where they're selling your kids data off to investors who are trying to make money off of your kids in these ways? So that's really, I think, where I would like to see the narrative move. You know, a lot, and, and I think that if we move there, part of the problem is that a lot of these conversations around the curriculum, the medical tyranny, they get caught up in the culture wars. And it's really hard to have that conversation and not get caught up in the culture wars. I find myself doing it all the time. I'm like, I don't want to add to the culture wars, but I'm trying to make this really important point that's just going to feed into them, unfortunately, anyways. But when we start talking about who is getting the data, when we start talking about who is 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 really funding and and coming up with these ideas and talking about the 5g the blockchain stuff it's a little bit more complex but we have to break through to that arena if we're going to actually solve a lot of these problems um i also do have a lot of hope for the school choice movement, but I think that that's also something that they have to worry about is is these people who are coming in and opening these charter schools and funding a lot of these these initiatives as well. Um, and you know, as long so- as the money's
0: going through the government, they're still going to try to put strings attached right. and so forth. It's not like I mean I'd rather see them do things like say you know if you open a school of your own accord a charity or whatever, if you want to go and open a school and run a school and whatever, then you're going to get, you know, a steep tax break. Like we're just going to incentivize with tax reform, the private opening, running, established, establishing of educational options and the money won't run through us. All you have to do is be satisfying your customers that you're educating them and, you know, find some objective way of figuring that maybe it is a standardized test. I don't know, but whatever, but it has yes. to be truly private and truly free market or else it's not really an alternative. It's just government expansion decorated like freedom.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know enough about like financial instruments and the way those things work. And there's like so many economic consequences that are so hard to predict. Um, I but I, what I would like to see is, is Like a two pronged approach with more of the emphasis on the second one. So the first one being run for school board, get involved in local parent groups, and you know, start doing the advocacy that's embedded within the political system as it is. Uh, and then the thing where I would actually like to see more emphasis is creating the new thing completely outside the system, not looking for government funding, but just really coming together with a gr- a good group of people, kind of crowdfunding um, teachers, you know, one or two teachers with a small group of kids. And then hopefully trying to expand that out and grow, you know, find a, an actual building to go into. And then it, and what you can do, too, is. When you're in a group of people, you can start to create some of that equity, right? You know, I'm I'm a single mom. I'm in a group with other people who have a little bit, you know, more flexibility. And, oh, yeah, I could take Caleb for an hour. No problem. You know, I'll just keep him and and just start helping out like that and then hopefully you can expand to the point where you can like officially help people you know with more of a sliding scale like i i know plenty of small businesses owners too who do that type of stuff too like they have kind of a sliding scale for their products like they have a price they like to sell it at but they know certain customers who are really good to them you know have certain situations so they you know and and we can start to do that type of thing so that's kind of my vision for how I you mean
0: voluntary mutual exchange? Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird concept. Uh, I what? I mean, like, we don't <laughs> need, like, rules, regulations, structures, price controls, blah, 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 whatever, to, like, actually interact with each other and provide value and barter and do things that make society work. I mean, human beings can actually be counted on to be decent to each other when they're not constantly told what to do. I mean... I couldn't agree with you more. I think what you've described is basically my fantasy. Like, that's what I'm trying to get people to see is like, you can make this happen. You just have to decide to do it. Exactly. At your tiny little scale and, you know, you do it and then you might be a force multiplier for others and so forth. But right. I want to make sure that we cover before we're done. Um, you were, we've talked about you know, power expansion, you know, things seeming arbitrary, people feeling confused, but like kind of getting propagandized. We've talked about all these things. And I wanted to run something by you and get your take on it. Do you feel like there's and especially because New York has its thing, but then there's similar things going on by different names in other states, right? You know, one state it might be ethnic studies, another state it's, you know, hardcore SEL, another one they're really focusing heavily on you know, whatever. But it all comes down to the same thing in my mind, which is there's a great sorting going on. And that the culture war, I feel like, is a tool. It's not, they're not. I don't believe that the people really behind all of this, whoever they may be, the people in power pulling strings, collecting the data, the ones who really buy the data, who have the money to buy the data. I think the, the culture war is a tool and it has sort of different kinds of weapons and battlefields and you know names it goes by, but that it's a way of figuring out who are the diehard individualists. Uh-oh, I lost her. Oop. Oh, there you are. Okay, there you are. So how do we figure out Who's very attached to their individualism? Who's who's just kind of by nature a person who says I I do my thing and like I don't want this whole collective. The collective because I do think there's a personality trait that is more given to being collectivist, and there are personalities that are more inclined to be like the guy in the Nazi picture with the Nazis. This guy, there's always that guy, right? Yeah. Well, we're a country full of these guys because it's in our it's in our DNA from the from the beginning and why immigrants came here, so it f- perpetuated in our sort of national DNA. And so I feel like these glo- whether you want to call them globalists, sort of communists, statists, whatever you want to call them, I feel like they they need to identify the individualists marginalize any way you can whether it's you're the unvaccinated you're the unmasked you're a white supremacist you're a transphobe you're a, you know it's like we got to kind of bucket you into some kind of other and marginalize and then the more we can do that and collect the data 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 points to fine tune fine tune like right down to your every little decision is this person going to be malleable is this person going to do what we want or and be predictable or are we going to have to work more on this person or just cast them out completely? I know that sounds incredibly tinfoil hat. So you probably think I'm crazy now. But no, no. I I, 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 I agree. can't help but feel like there's a sorting going on.
1: No, I, I agree. I think, I think that even to the the vaccine mandates in the schools, I think it was a great way to kind of get rid of anybody who might be opposing any future, agendas that they might have who might speak out against that I, I think that ultimately it's an underestimation of the power the courage and the love that the people who they are ostracizing have right i think i really do think in the end that love wins that in you know, that
0: the actual kind not the yeah, fake <laughs> not, not like this fake, inclusive.
1: Oh, you can, you know, like that's like really like how abusers give love, right? How, oh, like we want to give everybody love. and then and they draw you in, and then they start putting stipulations on their love, and then they get really mad at you and and, you know, make you do some weird apology to like win your way back and then you know it's that's a that's a classic cycle of abuse I just really mean people who just who just believe in in what they do and the way they live and who are willing to have the courage to stand on that so uh, I believe that you know while they're sorting out it also kind of helps us find our community and the difference between our community and their community is that we truly will accept anybody into it. We're not going to be one of those people who are who are like, "Oh, you used to have those really horrible awful ideas. Like you're never allowed in here." Be like, "Oh, like you you're changing your mind. Like you're open to new ideas." Like and I, and also I think that like I have the capacity to have a wide variety of of friends. I'm blessed to have that in my life. People who have all different political ideologies. People who, you know, I think are pretty far gone down into bad ideas but we can still have a friendship i and i don't see the other side generally capable of doing that same thing in the same way that i see people who i would consider like more on my side right like i can't i know i can't really get on progressive or lefty uh youtube channels or write for those publications they will not come on mine to have conversations so but anybody who's kind of like more in this like conservative libertarian republican space they're more than willing to have me even though i will not take the labels of republicans or conservatives i you know i i just consider myself more about liberty
0: yeah, yeah. so i think and you're right there, and then the name too you know i mean and and i think um I, I try to do the same, but I mean, it, people, when people pin me down, I'm like, okay, libertarian or, you know, um, yeah, but I generally
1: I vote, vote libertarian,
0: small L. but, um, I think, you know, y- you make a really good point about the true inclusiveness and in all this, but what is sad to me though, is that I think people who have, who share our ideas still need to toughen up a little bit more. So, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you to come on is I think you do that so well. Um, You really, you, you do two things that are really tough. You're unafraid. You go out there, you say what you want to say. You say it like really powerfully, you know, publicly on street corners and things like that. But you always do it with a positive message, you know, you, and you, but you don't back down, but you're not angry. You're not nasty. You're not, you know, because what I find is when I tell people, you need to speak up, you need to speak out. You need to say no. And people hear the word no. And they think that's like, Ooh, I know it, you know, especially women, it's, I'm sorry to say, but it does seem to be a woman thing. Like we're supposed to be agreeable. We're not supposed to say no. We're supposed to like couch the no in all these terms. And I really think they should look to your work because you do such a brilliant job of saying no without sounding like, I don't know. I can explain it, but you know, where it's, it sounds really positive and, oh, and
1: thank you.
0: yes. We it's more like a, a no. Yes. <laughs> like a, yeah, no. <laughs> I think
1: yeah, I that's why I said I think love wins, not that I don't ever, you know, find myself in in rages sometimes or angry or kind of getting a little nasty. I don't I we all are, are, you know, fallible in that way. I think particularly when you're using social media as a medium. Uh but yeah, I I think that's important. Uh, I think we can look kind of to the legacy of of Martin Luther King as an example. You know, it's hard to find that man being cynical or or saying anything that's negative. It's always about, you know, spreading love. And I think that you're right. I I do get mad also at people who I consider on my side because I see them doing the soup the ang- the very angry thing, like, oh well, they that's what they deserve, and things like that. Um or or the um uh i was trying to it slipped my mind but anyways so i agree we have to stay positive to be like
0: some of (laughs) your own huh martha's vineyard (laughs) yeah
1: or the celebrity or like the celebrity celebritization of some of these like people and just being like well and just sharing their videos and and not being like hold on the thing that that person is saying is like not a good idea actually you know just because they're this really popular person like this is just feeding into the culture wars so we have to be able to call out our own and stand on our own ideas um and then also it's a balance like you have to know when it's more important to be like you know i don't really fully agree with everything this person is saying but it's way more important for us to take this unified stand together on this one issue um so for the for for the ultimate goal of more liberty in general Right. So it's a balance. I
0: think, I think that the main the main point i was trying to make, though, is that and because I, I sort of agree with Kazmir here, who says, you know, there can be a separation of tasks, good cop, bad cop, so to speak. And he loves mm. pro liberty trolls um, when they're truly when they're truly pro liberty. Like, you know, yes, as long as they exclusively target like the 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 ones who are trying to be oppressive and tyr- tyrannical to people and force use yeah. force to make them do things. Um, so I'd take those. Over the people who say I can't say no because I can't be disagreeable, or I got I, I I agree with you, I believe what you believe, I'm with you, but I can't speak out. I'm yeah. with you, but I'm afraid. I'm with you, but I just I need to go along to get along. And then I it's I don't want to be mean, but I want to say, but then you're not really it's not even about being with me personally. I'm nobody, but I'm saying it's you're not really even with yourself. If you can't say no and mean it, you're already a slave. If you can't say no to a bad idea impacting your own life, more importantly your child's life, if you, when somebody tells you you can't say no, you have no option. They're telling you they own you. They're telling you, you know, I I own this portion of her life, and what? Or do we have portions we can give away and still be independent? No, it's either my life or it isn't my life. It's either my body or it isn't my body. It's you know, it's you don't get to say you're not really hurting anyone. Literally but you can't do this because I said so. And we used to understand that that was wrong. Like that's just oppressive. And now it seems like, no, it's okay because reasons. And I'll hear people saying, I don't think it's okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I don't think it's okay, but I can't say no. I can't speak out. I've got to keep quiet, hide behind an anonymous account, whatever. And I think what I was trying to call out is you have a way of speaking out That I hope empowers or emboldens other people who are nice really nice you know they're not trolls like they're they don't have it in them to be like (laughs) now okay that there isn't it's not yes or no it's a, a bunch of different kinds of no find your no and and like own it is kind of what I'm saying and I feel like you've found yours and I think it's a really good example that people can follow who are sort of uncomfortable. I've never been uncomfortable with it, but there are other people who look at me and go, I couldn't do what you do. And I'm like, okay, don't do what I do. You don't have to do what I do. I do what I do. You go find your version of it, but you've got to be you. If you're not going to actually defend your own liberty in your own life, you know, it's like, there's only so much Stephanie can do. (laughs)
1: No, I agree. I agree. I I love the way that you put that. And thank you. I I really appreciate uh, you giving me such high praise and uh, having this conversation and uh, all the work that you do as well. It's, you know, strong mamas need to get out here and have these conversations. And I do think it's important to find what you're comfortable with, but always also like ask yourself, how can I do more? How can I push myself kind of to that next level? Uh, and yeah, you don't have to be the person who's on the screen all the time. You can be the person who who writes the email template for other moms to send. You can be the one who makes the phone calls, who makes the flyers, who does the research, right? Exactly. So that when we're like, oh, wasn't there that article or that law or something? Oh yeah, I got it on file right here, right? Every group needs that those those different roles. So find your people, find your group, find your place and keep pushing yourself to be just a little bit, do a little bit more.
0: Yeah. I think that's great, great advice. And I really thank you for taking the time, especially from your car and your errands to come. I know i was supposed
1: to be at home, but my son forgot his lunch. So I had to like go and run and like get him some, like spend freaking $10 at the deli. I'm like so mad at him, but yeah. So, right. Just,
0: yeah. But, but you have inner peace, right? You're, you're out there and you're telling the truth and you're doing, what you know is right. And that I, I personally sleep better. I don't sleep much, but I sleep better (laughs) knowing, knowing that each day while I was awake, I told the truth and I, I get the impression you feel the same way. So there's a lot of peace of mind that comes with that. Right.
1: Thank you, Deb. I really appreciate it.
0: You're so welcome. Thanks, everyone who listened. Please like, share, and subscribe. And please go find Stephanie on Instagram. Follow her Instagram. That's where she does like the lion's share of her work at Teaching Liberty. And get out there. Find your no. All right, guys. Have a great rest of your day.